Well, aloha, good morning. Happy Wednesday. Thank you so much for joining us here on Spotlight Hawaii. I'm Yanji Denise, joined by Ryan Clay Suji. And Ryan, we have a very special guest that we are so lucky to have joining us here this morning. That's right. We're welcoming in Dr. Christina Kishimoto, of course, the superintendent for the Department of Education, uh, to the conversation. She has joined our uh, broadcast in the past, and we always love having her on to get an update on what's happening in our schools. Joining us right now this morning is Dr. Kishimoto. Thanks so much for joining us here. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Yanji. Nice to see both of you again. You know, we have so much to discuss and talk about, uh, and, and clearly we want to get to uh, some of the news that came out yesterday, including a statement by HST. But I think first we want to just start off by finding out uh, and getting an update on what's happening in our schools. We know that there have been a lot of developments over the past week. We got word about commencement, uh, about summer school as well. If you can sort of spend uh, this first part just giving us an update on what's happening in our schools and when you think students will be able to resume uh, and be in classroom full-time, uh, if at all, this year. Wow, so you left that really broad, Ryan, right? <laughs> so you've given me a lot of latitude. There is so much going on right now. Uh, yeah, so third quarter started right after the kind of Christmas holidays as we went into January and since January. So we ended third quarter with 12,000 students in in-person learning, everyone else on um, blended or distance learning. Uh, since then, we've had several thousand additional students who have come back for in-person learning, especially kindergarten through fifth grade. Uh, we've also uh, uh, started uh, conversations about what's going to happen for fourth quarter, uh, knowing that that collectively we want to uh, have as many of our elementary students uh, participate in in-person learning as they finish the year and transition into next year. We can go into more details on that as well. The uh, other piece is uh, uh, modified in-person graduation. You don't know how excited we are all about this. Our students want this, our families want this. Uh, students who are graduating this year have had two years of interrupted school years. And uh, you know they lost all of that uh, fourth quarter of last year. All of this year has been highly interrupted. And so for them to be able to come back in person and celebrate their you know K through 12 experience and be able to go off uh, with a final celebration together was really important to us. So, so we did uh, approve by working with all four county mayors, uh, police departments, transportation, governor's office, uh, Department of Health, and we're all on the same page, ready to support this modified in-person uh, graduation. It's not gonna look like years past, but it is gonna allow the students to come back together and have a great ceremony. Well, what is it going to look like? Because I know last year we saw those drive-through graduations in different districts or different, um, uh, I'm forgetting the word, but different schools uh, making different, you know, sort of uh, accommodations. But what do you anticipate that actually looking like this time around? So we'll, you know, Yunji, we're still going to have some virtual graduations. We'll still have some drive throughs that each school is planning, you know, with their student leaders, with their faculty. And so principals are leading that conversation, but we've broadened the scope of what's possible. So we did not allow for a third party venue, for example. Schools can, in fact, go to a rental facility uh, like a stadium and have six feet of social distancing, masking, which will allow for, you know, all of the students to come back safely for this final celebration before they leave. Um, we also are encouraging schools uh, to, to, to limit 
the, um, you know, who can attend. Some schools are planning to have only the students with the school staff attend and have the parents on virtually. And some schools are gonna be able to have up to two parents or family members with each graduate. So they're all planning around these new uh, kind of broadened constructs around, uh, around the parameters for putting together the graduation ceremony. Uh, we know that you mentioned off the top about uh, elementary students returning to the classroom. What does it look like for uh, those in middle and high school? What does the remainder of this calendar school year look like for them? Could we see more uh, opportunities for students to be back into the classroom full time? So, so let me start with elementary if I can, Ryan, because uh, right after spring break is upon us, right? We're a week and a half away from spring break. So we're not saying that on March 22nd, all elementary schools are fully reopened. Uh, it, it is much easier to close down a school and do distance learning than to go the other way because you have to change up all the services, put transportation back in place, have all the hires in place for support services and food services and everything else for in-person. Uh, what we are saying is that, that the elementary school principals are right now planning around how to maximize the, the number of students back on campus and identifying which schools are gonna be able to fully reopen. So that's in progress. I've had great meetings with the elementary principals and the complex area superintendents, and, and we'll be rolling out more details shortly around this. For middle school and high school, uh, we're asking all of them to start planning for greater numbers of students returning on campus because they do have the capacity and the ability to basically roll this up. And that's been the, the most promising approach uh, that we've been able to use to make sure that we're not rolling up, opening to greater numbers and then needing to shut down. When we look at what other states have done where they rolled up too quickly, many of them had to shut down school and kind of restart the whole reopening plan. We haven't had to do that, which I think is great. It's been, uh, it's allowed for kind of this stabilized way of doing this ramping up to our design. And that's really the approach we're gonna continue to do. We also have new DOH guidance around all the scientific kind of learning, the science-based learning around the mitigation strategies for health and safety. So, you know, at first, uh, DOH guidance, the CDC guidance was kind of wipe everything down, maybe once an hour. Um, now they, they've learned so much more about this virus and saying this is or uh, really about the masking. Uh, it really has to do with the lungs. Uh, and so uh, because of that, uh, it's not about wiping everything down. It's making sure that masking is in place, making sure that we're still washing our hands regularly, that we are layering these mitigation strategies. So that allows us to think differently about how the classroom is set up and also how we can do transportation. I want to bring in Stephanie's question here. She's got a couple of different uh, things that she's asking. Considering the low virus rate statewide and here on Hawaii Island and the vaccine rollout to teachers, what barriers still remain to getting every student black back in the classroom full time? So let's unpack that a little bit. Um, what what is the vaccine rollout to teachers? First of all, how many of our educators and also the support staff have actually gotten the vaccine and, and what's the time frame on that? Um, and, and what are the barriers once they are all vaccinated to getting everyone back in full time? So we are really excited about where we are uh, with vaccines because uh, we were initially told that it was going to be you know, into late March before we were gonna be able to get to actually where we are already. We have about 20,000 of our educators who have signed up for vaccines. Again, this is voluntary. 
Um, at least half of our uh, educators have already gotten their first vaccine. Um, almost every educator, if not every educator in Kauai who wanted the vaccine has been vaccinated and every educator on uh, Big Island who wanted the vaccine has gotten the first dose of the vaccine. So our biggest challenge is where our largest group is, which is here in Oahu, and we're rolling through that now. So for the last few weeks, we've been doing vaccinations at um, LCC, uh, and they've been a great partner of us to make this happen. And so uh, we just released another number of, uh, of appointments uh, for the second dose uh, of vaccines for those who had their first dose three or four weeks ago. So we're rolling through this quickly. We're really excited about where we are. Uh, you know, of course, we want to also bring up some of the comments that were made yesterday by the teachers union, HSTA, uh, and their comments about your leadership during this time. Uh, you know, they say that there has been a lack of communication uh, coming from you and the department. Uh, wanted to give you an opportunity to respond to any of the criticism that you have received during this time uh, and your leadership through COVID-19. So Ryan, I'm going to respectfully say that I'm not going to comment on, on these uh, statements being made right now. This is about all hands on deck right now. This is about keeping our eyes on the prize. We have been meeting for the last two weeks about what it's going to take to do a fourth quarter next level of significant reopening. Everyone's focused on that. Everyone's eyes are on that. This is about kids and what they need. This is about families and what they need in terms of bringing hope back to the community. And I think those, my reacting to this right now is a distraction and I'm not gonna be caught up in the distraction. I, I need everyone really focused on having our students get what they need. We have surveys that show the students are increasingly sad. We have surveys that show the students' learning has been highly disrupted, and so they're not doing as well at this point in the year. We have, we have surveys and feedback from families saying they really need us to continue to look at greater reopening. And so we're talking about the academic wellness of our students, the social emotional wellness, the mental health wellness of our kids, their happiness and joy. And, and that's what we need to be focused on, and, and that's what we're doing. Um, I will mention there was a great meeting that was held twice already. Uh, Speaker Psyche, Senator Schatz, uh, DOH leadership, DOA, uh, DOE leadership, and leadership from, um, from HGEA, HSTA, UPW. We all came together on um, two Fridays ago, and then one Friday ago, we came back together to, uh, to have a collective, cohesive uh, kind of uh, call to action to say, what's this next level of work? Let's do this together. And that's what I'm going to stay focused on. That's what we said we were going to do. And that's where I am. Uh, I respect your obviously not commenting, but I do want to ask that so your contract is coming up. Do you hope to stay? Do you hope to continue? Again, I'm not going to comment on that right now. I think there are conversations that have to be had uh, first before I make any public comment about that matter. Uh, the, the board is having conversations about that uh, starting tomorrow and tomorrow will be the first of that conversation. So we haven't even started the process yet of conversation. And so I don't wanna comment until we've started that process. You know, when we look at just how uh, teachers and, and schools are getting information and the communication lines between the department and the schools, uh, do you feel that there has been adequate communication? What steps have you uh, taken in the department to really engage them and especially moving forward with so much changing. I mean, we we almost see, seem like we're getting a new release from the department every, uh, you know, every day uh, with new updates. How is that being facilitated through and communicated to the school level to ensure that they are on the same page 
being that that is something that they have expressed some frustration over? Yeah, so it's a great question. Uh, we're, we're leading in a time of crisis, uh, which is a, a, a familiar term, uh, but I would call it leading in a time partly of insanity. I mean, this just destabilization, lots of pressure uh, to make decisions quick, uh, but knowing that we have safe uh, 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 guidelines around health and safety, we have to adhere to. This is a uh, health pandemic. This is not an easy matter. Most people leading have never led through a health pandemic. Uh, there is a lot of confusion that will happen. This is this is hard work, right? This is about having our, our sleeves rolled up the entire time to say what works, what doesn't work. When something didn't work, let's go back to the table. Let's regroup. Let's make another decision. That's what it's been like for a year, nonstop for everyone. And for people to say that they feel uh, like they haven't been communicated enough with, that they feel frustrated, that they feel a little fearful, that that's expected. What we've done is keep changing how we're communicating. I get a lot of feedback from my leadership team. I appreciate that feedback. We keep changing how we meet, but this is a constant week by week, constant, constant meeting, trying to make decisions that are the best decisions we can make with the information we have, knowing that we know more today about this pandemic than we did when we started and we were in this state of confusion and we still don't know everything that we need to about what this is going to mean you know looking forward but making the best decisions possible and i've remained flexible about that communications whether it's you know i have never turned down a media invitation i'm on the media answering as best as possible we have our own internal communications we have memos that go out constantly uh, you know, the, the more we communicate, the more questions there are. And that's a good thing because we have to keep making the best decisions possible because this is a, a health and safety matter. And it's also an accountability matter around the quality of education we can provide during this time period. Autumn is a parent. She's got a question. It says, currently my child is an elementary in an elementary classroom with 10 kids maximum. Will classroom sizes get larger? If so, what support like supplies or staffing will teachers get and staff get to accommodate the increase? We know that a lot of schools were already facing overcrowding before the pandemic. Uh, and now you have mandates or at least direction from CDC in terms of how far apart kids should be. How do you, you know, welcome all these kids back while still maintaining the safety um, you know, when it comes to COVID? Yunji, this is, this is a great question. It's also connected to this issue of, of, uh, of, of the, the communication around the guidance. The guidance from CDC and, and DOH has always allowed for, for example, uh, six feet of social distancing when possible. Uh, we have taken a strict kind of look at six feet of social distancing, uh, and, and we haven't looked at when possible, right? We have stayed to that, which means that less students can come back to class. Uh, now that uh, the, the science says, look, we've had enough time to see how hospitals runs, run and other facilities and, and other working groups have run or employee groups have run with less than six feet of social distancing and have had no transmission of the disease in, in some of those areas. We know that you can have less than six feet of social distancing, but layer on masking is absolutely mandatory, making sure you're keeping your hands clean, taking mask breaks and so forth. And so there's new guidance around how to think about the guidance, right? It's not that the guidance 
uh, indicators have changed is that the science behind it is clearer. And so now, uh, you know, the guidance we've received from DOH is that we can bring classes fully back into classrooms. But what's what's a non-negotiable is the masking, the ventilation of air, you know, continue to wash your hands, take breaks and allow kids to get fresh air and adults to get fresh air as well. Uh, and it's that layering. And so now that we know we can have full classrooms back, we have to kind of lead back up into that because we also have to educate the community about the new science. And we can't do that alone because DOE talking about the science uh, doesn't feel like the right body of experts. It's really DOH and, and, and the scientific community, CDC, uh, uh, folks like like the Lieutenant Governor and the work he does with hospitals is really help, help, helpful in providing new education around the new information we've gotten to really change our parameters for, for bringing more kids back into the classroom beyond that classroom of 10 uh, that our parent is asking about. You know, a few weeks ago, we had some of the advocates for getting our students uh, back into the, uh, on the on the playing field and being able to participate in athletic competition. Uh, during this time, as you are restructuring and trying to figure out how to bring students in, there is, uh, has been an outcry for parents saying that they want their students to be able to compete again. What sort of update can you give us on where you folks are at with determining how best to allow some sort of uh, athletic competition with uh, happening in our schools? Yes, and, and we're going into fourth quarter very shortly here. So, you know, yeah, time is passing very quickly for, you know, getting back into competitive sports. Our athletic leagues are uh, making decisions right now around whether uh, they will encourage and, and allow for the, the, the leagues to come back together for competition. What the DOE is doing, and those are the leagues that make that decision. Uh, independently, and then they meet with me around their decision. What the DOE is doing is we are opening up our fields, our workout rooms, uh, our weight rooms for conditioning. So we are going to be issuing a statement uh, by the end of this week uh, telling our high schools uh, and our middle schools they can start coming back together to do weight training, conditioning, uh, practice, uh, they can use the field space uh, to do this, and they can also use the spaces in the building to do this. And this is to make sure that our student athletes can continue to do their conditioning work, which is really important, but also that our athletes who are seniors can also come back and they can document the conditioning. A lot of them have to submit, uh, you know, some some kind of videotape of uh, or some video of what. Uh, what they they are doing and and their conditioning work as they apply to colleges and and college uh, scholarships related to athletes and so we want to support them as they're doing that and so all of our coaches and and, and athletic team uh, uh, athletic staff will be working with our student athletes and putting a plan together to start bringing them back for this kind of work. You know, as you go through and start looking at planning, let's talk a little bit about summer school. What do you anticipate being available then? I think that a lot of parents who may not normally send their kid to summer school do feel like they might need um, some more in-classroom time because they've had so much time at home. And also there are programs like summer fun and different things that happen on those campuses. So what's the outlook for that? Yeah, Yunji, and, and you're right about that end of the summer fun part of this as well. That socialization is important. Our families are looking for, for options for the summer. 
uh, and they're also looking for, for kids to get their academic practice. And so last summer in 2020, we increased the number of students participating um, from previous years. And so we brought in our summer offerings. We had 21,000 students participate, which is just fantastic. Uh, for, for this year, we're planning up for that as well uh, so that we have options that include not only the academics, but also some of the, the fun, engaging, INA-based uh, field trip kind of uh, fun learning activities and then fun activities just out in the field, playing sports, socialization time for, for kids to get together and do fun uh, projects together. So we're gonna be rolling that out. Uh, the, the Board of Education still has to approve the funding that I am authorized to use uh, for this. And so we're planning at the scale at least of last year, and actually we're trying to get even larger than last year with offerings. And I'll be taking to the board a proposal for the funding that I need behind this. You know, early on in this pandemic, we had talked, uh, one of the major focuses was making sure that meals were available to students. And for those who re you know really rely on the meals that are served in schools, uh, to just uh, help sustain them throughout just the day. What can you tell us about where you are at right now with those meal programs? Because we saw these pop-ups of meals being delivered for those who are not learning in person uh, as, as schools were closed, but is that still going on? And what kind of update can you provide to us on what's happening with uh, feeding students during this time? Uh, thanks for the question. You know, we we are often noted uh, the Department of Education as the the largest restaurant in Hawaii. Uh, we uh, provide significant uh, food preparation, uh, manage significant numbers of kitchens across all of our schools throughout the islands, and uh, and and are important source of, of feeding our children in this state. And we also provide summer feed. Uh, which includes students who are not part of the public school system, you know, so it's any student can come and participate in that. Uh, so it, it's quite an operation. We are continuing to feed students. We continue to change our model based on the number of students coming out to pick up their meals. We saw a huge drop in the beginning of the school year. And, and, and the feedback we got is parents were struggling with the online learning, trying to figure out their own work schedule, and then trying to figure out how to come in the middle of the day to a site to pick up a meal and actually have to come twice, one for breakfast, one for, for lunch, another time for lunch. And so based on the feedback, we've adjusted. And now when you when when families come to pick up their child's meal, they, they can get breakfast and lunch at the same time. So they don't have to come back twice. Uh, and for those in really isolated rural areas, we've made adjustments for uh, multiple meals, bringing meals out into the communities, uh, and lots of adjustments as as we we've gone along uh, throughout the year. And so the number of participants has almost tripled since the end of last semester. I'm really pleased that it's going up. It's still not at the numbers we were in a regular school year, and so we continue to to push out uh, meals in new ways uh, uh, to really accommodate for what you know, that a work life is for our adults right now who are trying to manage between schooling at home and trying to get to work. I know one of the things that you've been also focused on is a commitment you made early on to upgrade the financial management system of the department. Can you tell us where that is right now? 
Yeah, so thanks for asking about that. It's it's one of those things that we have just kept on. Uh, we decided that we were not going to slow down on uh, the, the uh, replacement of our financial management system. Um, it crashed um, over a year ago. Uh, it uh, was very disruptive. We couldn't pay out any of our bills. Uh, this is a system that is uh, more than 30 years old. It is the most antiquated system I've had to deal with. It's a system that I was working in another organization in the business sector, uh, uh, actually closing out in the 1980s, and we're still using it here in Hawaii. Uh, and so uh, this is one of those non-negotiable for me. We needed to modernize the system. Uh, because we uh, we need to uh, be able to issue payments quickly to our partners and vendors. We also need to be able to produce reports in a much more sophisticated way about our finances. Uh, and we and 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 our schools need to have a system that's much uh, much more sophisticated to do the work they do to manage their school-based budgets. So our go live day is uh, for July. It's an aggressive timeline, but it is a necessary timeline. And I have a great team here in the DOE with partners at ETS, partners in the Comptroller's Office, partners at UH, who have all come together to support us to make sure that we can make this go, make, make this deadline of July to go live with this new system. Wow, antiquated systems is not uh, is something that we've heard quite a lot over the past few months, and uh, you're not yes. alone in dealing with that uh, in the department, but great to hear that's moving forward. In speaking of the finances overall of the department, you know, th there was the idea floated around by the governor earlier this year about possible furlough of teachers. We know that has since been scaled back because of the recent uh, funding that has been allocated from Congress through the different and various models of the CARES Act. What can you tell us about the overall financial uh, stability of the department during this time, knowing that you are getting this influx of support from Congress, but also moving forward, how do you manage through that, knowing that there could be some potential shortfalls later? So Ryan, there is so much has happened on this front. I'm going to try to figure out how to summarize this. So, so we started out the school year or the, the, the session with a $264 million shortfall in our base budget that completely was going to completely destabilize our system. Uh, we were able to show what the impact would be. Governor's office put back or the governor put back $123 million back into the base after the Council of Revenues projected something more positive for the state in terms of rev future revenues. Uh, that's helped to stabilize our schools for planning for next year. We still have a shortfall for this current year of about 70 to $80 million to pay just current bills. Uh, we got the $186 million from the federal government that allows us through this relief funds to pay current bills, which is extremely helpful. The forward planning is still a challenge. We have still a remaining $141 million shortfall for next year and for the year after. We recently had, you know, we've had lots of conversations with legislators and I appreciate those conversations. We had a meeting yesterday with uh, Chair Luke uh, on the House side. Uh, and Yamashita, Representative Yamashita as well. And we went through our special funds. They're going through everyone's special funds. I appreciate their turn turning over every rock uh, to say, where's the money? Where is their flexibility for temporarily pulling back some money to, to stabilize the state as new potential money comes from the federal government? We're watching uh, the decision by Congress right now that may bring in an additional $440 million to the Department of Education before the school year is out. 
And that's part of the complete package of stabilizing this year and stabilizing the next two years of education and will go a long way for putting us in a good place. You know, our time is running out, but I want to give Cyrus the last question because I think it's a great one. He just says, how do you see the public schools moving forward knowing what you know now about the pandemic? And what's your advice to students and parents on how to move forward to maximize their learning experience? You know, we know that it's not going to be school the way we're used to um, and that there might be some some adjustments that they have to make. So just on a broad level, um, you know, if you could answer Cyrus's question. So, so thank you, Cyrus, for the question. I, I, I want to say that I, I want to give a lot of credit to our students for uh, their resiliency and also how innovative they've been in working at, you know, with their teachers, working with their principals, working at the school, or just working from home, figuring out, you know, where they're engaging. Our kids are very resilient. That being said, that the school system itself needs to ensure that kids are getting what they need to get academically to get ready for next year. You know, I would encourage students and parents to fully take advantage of uh, of the summer offerings. You know, we're gonna we're looking at everything from you know students who need extra time on current work, but also allowing students to advance their credits uh, and, and and jump ahead of next you know for next school year. Uh, and so certainly take advantage of that. I'm asking parents and students to keep working with your principals at the school site for this, these next levels of school reopening. Uh, it, is, um, it, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of folks you know, working together cohesively uh, and, and what works best for you as a family as situations change is important for us to know, especially at the school site, to really understand how we can keep designing around this. One of the biggest challenges for us is as new information comes out, is, key, is the constant change in the design. And that's a challenge not only for the teacher in the classroom, but for the principal who's managing it, but also for the family who, you know, every design we put out is not going to be what every family needs. Uh, and, 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 and yet we have to manage uh, a, a, a number of designs that's reasonable uh, to be able to do it well, right? We have a fixed number of staff and we have a fixed budget that we're working within. And our parents and our students are, are important partners with our teachers and principals at the school site and our staff to make this work well. All right, well, Dr. Kishimoto, thank you so much. We know that you have obviously a lot on your hands and a full <laughs> plate with everything that you're managing, but we appreciate you taking the questions from our viewers and updating us on what's happening in our schools this morning. Mahalo. Mahalo, thank you to both of you. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Well, Ryan, great to hear from her. And you know, it does sound like elementary school students by and large will have an opportunity to get back into the classroom after spring break, which as she noted is just a week and a half away, um, but they are having to pivot in some really big ways and, uh, and, and make things available. Nice to hear also that student athletes are gonna start to be allowed back on campus to do some training and conditioning. Uh, it's up to the leagues, as she said, whether or not they'll actually be able to play against each other, but at least to get to be together and to practice and to have access to those facilities will be very important for a lot of those students. And we did hear that uh, really request and concern by some of the advocates that wanted to get students back involved in athletics was just allowing them the opportunity to have the resources of a weight room and a coaching experience. And so that is, I'm sure, uh, much uh, appreciated news that will be again coming down. She said later this week, they will have an official announcement that will be coming out by the department about that. Uh, we're all, we also got an update on the budget and, and sounds like while 
there is and there has been support that has come down from the federal level. There still is some concern moving forward into next year about how the DOE will continue to find ways to fill those budget holes uh, that has been created because of this pandemic. And a lot will be further decided on as we continue to monitor what's happening in Washington, D.C. And if further funding will come down to help assist the uh, specific areas and needs of the education system here in Hawaii. Yeah, and one really important note, just if you know families that are in, that are struggling, um, that she did say that the DOE does have meals available, meals to go, breakfast and lunch together in one package. Um, you don't necessarily have to go to the school that is your district, that is the school that your student is attached to. Um, and it's just very important to know that those resources are out there. We hear from a lot of you, especially, you know, when we host these unemployment shows about just how many financial struggles folks are having. And this is a really important resource to make sure that our students do get the access to nutrition that they're entitled to. I know when you think about it at times, uh, you often think about the DOE and just what happens in the classroom, but there are so many other components uh, that happen that the department is having to manage during this time. We got an update about uh, their you know, financial uh, modernization and how they are trying to incorporate some of that as well. So there's a lot of things that are happening at the department. We also uh, heard her statements about some of the criticism that she received directly yesterday from the HSTA saying that she is focusing on getting students back into the classroom during this time during COVID-19 and anything else would be a distraction. Uh, and she seems very focused on making sure that that remains the narrative for the department moving forward. Yeah, and also lastly, really good to hear about all the teachers that have had and administrators that have had access to the vaccine. It sounds like by and large, that's working really well. And the majority of those folks have at least gotten one shot. Um, so that is very good news. It hopefully will make people feel more comfortable as they have to head back into the classroom. So we're looking forward to uh, more conversations that will happen on this programming on Friday. We will be joined by uh, what we're calling maybe a Citizens United, where citizens uh, have come together to help others in our community. We'll be speaking to two individuals who manage the Facebook uh, unemployment helpline, if you will. They provide resources and information for those who have gone through this uh, unemployment crisis that we are experiencing with many still waiting. We'll be talking to them about some of the stories that they're hearing about what they can advice they can provide to those that are currently still in the queue and waiting for some sort of communication and relief in the unemployment side. And we'll also be talking to another group of individuals that have been active during this time. Yeah, Angela Keene is gonna join us in the second half of the show. She runs the Quarantine Couple Breakers uh, Facebook page, and they are out there very vigilant about making sure that people are not breaking quarantine. The last time she was on here, she was telling us about how her group works with the attorney general's office and actually helps to get people arrested um, and in some cases sent back to the mainland for breaking quarantine. And then also they've been very now focused on making sure that everyone is following the mask mandate. So we'll be getting an update from her and we know that she has been working with the legislature as they try to push through uh, bills to make the mask mandate um, enforceable in a different way, not, not misdemeanor, but a simple fine. So she's working on that legislation and we'll be talking with her about that. Yeah, we're looking forward to another great month of guests. We will, of course, have con uh, continue to bring on guests that you've been used to seeing on here, like the governor and like the mayor, uh, as well as the lieutenant governor. But we'll also be adding in a few other topics. We'll be speaking next week to the interim director of the uh, of, of Heart, uh, Lori Kahikina, who will give us an update on the rail project. We'll also be hearing from some of the stars of Finding Ohana, the Netflix show, uh, hearing their take on their experience and what it's like to represent Hawaii on a on a worldwide level and uh, how the film industry continues to grow in here in the island. So a lot of topics and uh, conversations that we hope to spotlight right here on this program. We certainly thank you 
for being a part of this conversation. And we'll see you right back here on, thir- uh, on Friday at 1030. <laughs> Aloha. Aloha.